Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with me, your host, Junior Renate Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation. If you are an, uh, a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. It's much appreciated. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you guys uh, for following our page uh, on Instagram. Whose world is this 2021 on Instagram? Uh, and thank you for the emails at whose world is this 21 at gmail.com. Again, our Instagram is whose world is this 2021. And our, our Gmail is whose world is this 21 at gmail.com. Thank you for the uh, cash apps at dollar sign J U N B E A U. We're looking to expand the dialogue and looking to expand the production value and upgrade it, et cetera, et cetera. And donations help because I'd like to do more episodes. I'd like to do this f uh, on a full time basis or whatever that would look like, you know, you know, I don't know what even that looks like. Is it five episodes a week? Am I doing am I doing it live and direct? Uh, I don't know. Taking in calls. I don't know. But what I do know is I'd like to do more episodes, but because duty calls and expenses have to be taken care of and you have to live your life and eat and drink and whatever and feed yourself and clothe yourself. So and house yourself. So in turn, I don't do this as much as I'd like to. But if this could pay for some things, especially, yeah, get this this conversation expanding, then um, for sure. I could take put some of those other things, eliminate them and invest more into this more time, more money, more resources, et cetera, et cetera. In any case, thank you. And thank you, guys. So any questions, concerns, criticisms, kudos, business inquiries that you may have or whatever, definitely email me at whose world is this two one at Gmail dot com and and or hit me up on Instagram at whose world is this 2021. Really appreciate it. Yeah, keep those cash apps coming. Dollar sign June Bow. That's J U N B E A U. Um, it's appreciated. So obviously Chavezhouse.com. That's Chavez with an S at the end. Chavezhouse.com. If you're looking for journals, notebooks, things of that nature, fitness diaries, uh, fitness logs, uh, Anything of that nature, decorative notebooks with international flags on the cover. Check out ChavezHouse.com. They make for great gifts. It's great for utility. It's great for you and a loved one. It's a great gift for Christmas. You want to get started on your Christmas shopping? <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's funny, right? We're in March. It's nine months away. Okay, Christmas is right around the corner. Believe me, by the time summer's going to be here, and then boom, we're going to start talking. We're going to start seeing Christmas ads in no time. It's crazy. We've already gotten through 90 days or so of the new year. Insane. Anyway, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are. Oh, 60 days of the new year, not 90. But um, my last episode, uh, I spoke about Russia. Here we are. This is season six. Episode 68, right? Or episode 68. Here we are. And my last episode, I spoke briefly about Russia. And I, I, I pretty much went into what I would call a very broad overview of discussions <clears throat> that I was having with people about Russia. And kind of going into U.S.'s background 
as far as how it's dealt with nations that um it feels is uh, uh are um sort of closing in or sort of uh, uh coming with counter narratives and counter ideologies that may be too close to home and sometimes not even so close to home um you look at north and south korea you look at north and south vietnam cambodia you look at that whole region which i'm very very familiar with and um that's not very close to home the things that America has done to reduce the sphere of influences of other nations, us as Americans have made a ton of excuses for it. We've made a ton of excuses for it. Now I'm noticing on television that Ukrainian refugees are being uh, being um, 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 embraced with open arms all over the world. How many countries have had, how many countries that are going through massacres? And I don't want to get into that. But I have to. How many countries are going through massacres and those massacres occurred because of multinational corporations that are on the ground because they, these are poor people who just happen to live right on top of a natural resource or resources that multinational Anglo corporations and countries want. And because of that, because of that, guess what? They suffer. These these people, the poor, the peasants, the paupers, they're the ones who suffer. And now they have to end up on your borders of your European nations or your, your American nations. And the border goes, nope, sorry. We're not counting what you're going through as a true humanitarian crisis, such and such and such and such. We're not um, recognizing it as such even though there's enough blood and guts on the ground to prove otherwise. So it's very strategic as to who we call a refugee, validate as a refugee, and who we do not. See, when we're born, we're all given our identity before we even know what to do with it. Our birth certificate has our race on it. Did you check that? The name that you were given, did you choose it? The religion that they put on there, did you choose it? Did you choose to be confirmed? Did you choose to be baptized? Did you choose your communions? Most likely you didn't. You were told this is what you do. So much of what we are, we were told to be. So much of who we are is who we were told we are. So much of what we do is what we were told to do. So much of what we think is what we were told to think. Our identities are invested in what people around us who claim to love us told us we are you're black june yeah okay why oh because we said so but what's no i'm 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 what if i'm brown i don't look like my laptop <laughs> i stood next to a black porsche and i didn't look anything like it i'm not as black as my eyebrows what is black black is not a race black is an idea when you someone says black, oftentimes you're not thinking about just the race, ideas about that race. When you say white, ideas about what that means to be white. When you say Asian, archetypes, caricatures, stereotypes, all of these categories and subcategories start to enter into, into your mind based on what you've been told, not what you've experienced most times, what you've been told. 
about a group of people. See where I'm going? It's slow, but it's getting there. What you've been told. Oh, yeah, you're black. Really? So you must listen to this kind of music, eat this kind of food. Your family comes from this demographic. This is your socioeconomic blah, blah, blah. You think you know me because they gave my parents a box to check. And they have a bunch of little boxes when I fill out a loan or an application or a survey. They have a box. And these boxes lack what we spoke about before. Nuance. Who created these boxes? Who created these boxes? Hmm? Do you know sometimes in the United States back in the days, Native Americans were inadvertently called African and vice versa? Teachers would walk into a room and go, okay, I got about four whites, three blacks, and about seven natives, and this, that, and the third. And it would be all natives because the natives were brown or the blacks were this color or tan or there was a mix. And uh, no, I don't have time in my, my – the power structure didn't have time to, to, to ask you who you were and what your religion was and what your customs were and what you dot, dot, dot identify as. We're going to tell you for you. This is who you are. This is who we say you are. And here's your box. So what you know about Russia, you've been told about Russia. You don't know any Russians. I'm sorry. Do I got to do I got to go there? I have to go there. You don't know any Russians. You don't know any Russians. You don't know one Russian. Not one. I know several, but that doesn't mean anything either. You don't know any Russians. Hmm? What you know about Russia, Chuck Norris told you in those movies. What you know about Russia, Rocky told you in Rocky 3. What you know about Russia, Sean Connery and Roger Moore told you about Russia. What you know about Russia, Hollywood told you. That's your education. What you know about Russia, you know about the USSR and your old antiquated social studies book in grade school and in high school. That's what you know. What you know about Russia is what your media told you, what Dan Rather and Mike Wallace and Peter Jennings and Barbara Walters and John Stossel and the rest of them told you in the 80s. You don't know Russia. You don't even know the Soviet Union. You don't know that Russia was a peasant colony in the 1900s. It was practically destroyed and World War II was damn near destroyed again. And guess what? Within a couple of decades, they had a man on the moon before everybody else. Remarkable story, but that's not the narrative. Russia, here's, here's what's going to sound crazy. There are three rags to riches stories that are probably the best rags, to, or two that are the best rags to riches story of the 20th century. And those two rags to riches stories just happen to be Russia and China. Two ideologies and two economic and political ideologies that are as far as you're concerned and what you've been told are antithetical to your belief system. Think about that for a moment. Russia in the 1900s, in the early 1900s, was the poorest, considered one of the poorest regions, if not the most poor region in Europe. This is off the top of my head, people, because I remember hearing this as a kid, a little bit. And I remember asking a question. And the reason why I'm doing this, this, by the way, everybody, is sort of a part two continuation of the conversation that I that I that I commenced from the previous episode, which I I think I called it uh, the get down U.S. versus Russia. Right. And so this is going to be probably the get down part two. Okay, just sort of 
a background. I, I'm, I'm trying to keep it as informal and as non-academic and as conversational as possible because I could add a whole lot of dates, times, Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Nelson, Chinese, blah, 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 the Great Leap Forward, the Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because, you know, there are certain things going on right now in our contemporary context that people want to get through to. People want to make sense of what's going on now. And, and I, as I said before, to preface my first, ep the, the previous episode, if you can take a moment and abandon your dogmas for a minute, if you can sit your pro-America or anti-Russia or anti-Russia, pro-America or pro-Ukraine, if you can just set it down and look at the political realities for a second and look at these things from a politically pragmatic perspective, one, and then look at it from another perspective as a human and then look at it as a statesman. Like, how would you feel if you were in the place of another country that was put under certain situations? Or how would you feel being here and you had certain people aligning forces along the Mexican and Canadian borders? Just just kind of dilly dallying around. What would be what would you want the response of your leaders to be? Hmm. No one ever asks that question. We're hearing, oh, Russians don't want war. But you know what I you know what I've been hearing through the grapevine? Since if you if you listen to my last episode, you know I know Russians and I know Ukrainians. Um I've been hearing that people have been asking Putin, Ayo, when are you gonna do something about the fact that the West is all up on our borders? There is a contingent in, in Russia that's not happy with the lack of activity from the Russian president before. Like, yo, yeah, um, you know, what's up? Like you know, we're not doing anything. We're just over here, you know, building new buildings and trying to create our economy. What's up? What's up? What's up with the West, man? Why are they? Why are they over here like that? Why do they still have ICBM intercontinental ballistic missiles pointed at us? <laughs> what's going on? No one. No one says that because if these same actors were on our borders in Mexico and Puerto Rico or something or in South America and pointing ICBMs at us, uh, how would we be feeling right now? So I'm going to go back to that. But in any case, if we can set our dogmas aside for a moment, and like I mentioned in the previous episode, if we can operate as arbitrators and we have the United States on one side, almost like a courtroom, you're the judge. You're sitting there and you're looking at the evidence. The United States presents its case. Russia presents its case. And you sit there with the information. Other European nations present their case. Maybe you, you factor in some historical data from, from proxy wars that existed um, in the you know, 2000s and 80s and 90s and 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s. Well, let's say the 50s, 40s, 50s. Let, let's, let's do that. And what's occurred in parts of Syria and North Africa and parts of Africa and parts of South America as we speak. And you take in all that data regardless. And they're coming to you because you are supposed to be suspended from bias about these two particular regions, whether it's their ge geography, uh, religious ideology, political ideology, regardless, economic ideology, regardless. You are the arbitrator, the, 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 the voice of neutrality, unbiased, unblemished by dogmas, unblemished by what you were told about these places. 
what you were told to think about this group or that group or this economic ideology or that one. What you were told to think about, I'm going to name them by name, what you were told to think about communism and what you were told to think about capitalism, what you were told to think about socialism and told to think about democracy, what you were told to think about Russia or Putin and what you were told to think about anybody who leads the United States. Can you suspend that for a moment and go, what would you do if you were a statesman? What would you do? What would you do if you were just a normal citizen? If these things were occurring to you, regardless of your ideology, if you had all the facts, not just what you were told. If you had all the facts, remember what we spoke about last episode, we had a conversation. We spoke about, um, uh, I think, what was it? Uh, was it Vladimir Lenin or Joseph Stalin said that there are no morals in politics? There is only expedience. A scoundrel may be of use to us just because he is a scoundrel. What's politically expedient isn't necessarily moral. And it isn't definite and it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it is the will of the people to have these things be so. If you knew 30% of what your country has done to keep your roads paved, I would wonder how many, if you knew, if you had full if you had 30% of the facts, because you don't even have that, you don't even have that. Let's just say, you know what, for, for argument's sake, let's just say you had all the ingredients. Because we built a lot of what we have in this country based on a lack of transparency. Because if you knew all the ingredients that went into what you eat at the drive through window, I'm pretty sure that there would be a significant portion of the population that wouldn't eat it. I'm not saying that they would go bankrupt, but it's possible possible that they would lose a serious amount of revenue and they would have to close down a significant amount of stores uh, of outlets or, or locations if you knew exactly went what went into your burger with what into your fries what went into your powdered drink if you had a background of every single last ingredient and how your body reacts to said ingredients i'm pretty sure that these these uh, uh big fast food outlets would lose about at least 50% of their revenue if the people had 100% of the information. Now I ask you, if someone were to give you 100% of the information of how your roads come to be, how your phones come to be, how your trucks and your oil and everything that you have in your possessions right now, all the benefits that you have right now, if you had 100% of the information of how you got it, how it came to be in your possession at that price. I wonder if you'd still buy it. Some of you still would, because some of you don't care about blood. We had this conversation about the moral ambiguity of, of beneficiaries. Small conversation. Did you care about blood diamonds? Did it stop you from buying diamonds? Hmm? Even though you knew about all those Saudi Arabian, uh, the, those, uh, those, those quote-unquote human rights violations going on in certain other countries, did that stop you from... Did that stop you from um, buying certain things? It didn't stop you from buying blood diamonds. You know, you keep hearing about climate change and, and how the, the earth fossil fuels is doing A, B, and C. Does that stop the United States from being the number one buyer of SUVs in the world? Did everyone go out and buy a Prius? No. Is every, Prius has been around a while. 
from what I heard, it's a pretty reliable car. The, um, it's a Toyota. I mean, Toyota's a pretty reliable. I can attest to that. I had one that went for almost, they actually went over 300,000 miles. Drove that thing everywhere. It, it was so good, we shipped it out of the country. And someone else was using it for a couple of years. That was so good, we just couldn't get rid of it. We were so endeared to it. So we can, we can uh, at least, um, what do you call it, uh, vouch for that, right? So here we are. Here we are. Would it make a difference if I told you all the things that you had, all the things that you have right now were not um, acquired by moral means? How much of a difference would it make in your life right now, even though you benefit greatly from these things? Your price of fuel is highly subsidized, and it should be actually cheaper, by the way. It's another conversation. Highly subsidized. Because we turn a blind eye. Because that scoundrel is of use to us. A scoundrel may be of use just because he is a scoundrel. Because that scoundrel is of use to us. Your gas prices are $3 a gallon instead of $7 a gallon. Because that scoundrel is of use to us. And it's politically expedient that we keep these prices at such, such a place. Yes, this person is killing women and children and throwing black bags over their journalists' heads and chopping off the hands and heads of women. Yeah, 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 yeah. Meanwhile, we scream, me too. Meanwhile, we scream, we must have female vice presidents, female Supreme Court. We scream all this in diversity, inclusion, equity. But over there... Yeah, as long as they can keep these prices where it is and they're playing ball with us when it comes to dealing with these other countries and how they deal. As long as they, he may be a dictator, but he's our dictator. That was the old CIA saying. Yeah, he's a dictator, but he's our dictator. It's not by accident that our multinational corporations love doing business in authoritarian, heavy, hierarchical regimes. Why do you think multinational corporations love doing business in China? Because multinational corporations would love to run their corporation the way China runs its country. With nobody allowed to complain to a certain degree. You don't have much recourse if your government is in the midst of malfeasance or it's overreaching. Corporations in America would love it is a dream of theirs. That's why they say fascism is the merger of corporate and state interests. That's what fascism is. That's one of the more popular definitions. Because our multinational corporations, your boss would love to tell you, do this or else. There's nothing else you can do. This is how much we're going to pay you. Yeah, you have to work six days a week. Yeah, you don't get any maternity leave. No, you don't get this. No, you don't get benefits. No, you didn't get that. What are you going to do about it? Seems a little authoritarian, doesn't doesn't it? America always wants to act as if it's so democratic. Americans want to seem, oh, yeah, you know, we believe in freedom, justice, and equality. You believe in all those things until you open up the door to your job. And all of a sudden, you're living under <laughs> authoritarian regime. You're working eight hours a day, 40 hours a week for the next 40 hours, for the next 40 years. And um, guess what? You don't have much say in what's going on. You're afraid to ask for 20 cents more on the dollar. Stop it. So when people like me, who know kind of know the goings on of what's going on, but at least I know more than the average. I think so. And I hear people going, oh, well, they're going crazy over there. Man, he can't do that. We gotta. We? We sick? We sick. 
Mm. Some people out there is going to know what that means. We sick. That's what we're doing. We are you sure that your morals are aligned with your leaders morals, your military morals? Are you are you are you positive of that? Just saying, because what I do know is. As of right now. We are the only country that has dropped a bomb on a, a nuclear bomb on another country. Okay, that's us. That's us. So when I hear people speak about, oh, Russia's doing this and Russia's doing that. And what are they doing over there? And uh, how could he do that? Why is he doing that? I say to you. Why do we have a military industrial complex right now that's making so much money that we actually are in perpetual wars? What are we doing about that? When Dwight D. Eisenhower told us about the military industrial complex, why are we just sitting around feeling so comfortable just uh, espousing the rhetoric that he that he said in that speech, but not actually saying, yo, that this is a problem? Okay, I'll never forget that speech. I remember I had to read that speech. Um, I read that speech out loud when I was about 20 years old, I think it was. And he was saying something along the lines of we must avoid the impulse to live only for today, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was saying, um, you know, we, we are um, mortgaging the spiritual heritage of our grandkids or something along those lines. And this was a man who was a military man. And he said that we have now decided to make money off of war. But let me tell you something. War has always been money. Resources, oil energy, land, expansion, whether it was Rome, whether it was Greece, whether it was whether it was uh, Africa, no matter if it was Egypt or if it was Kush, with empires look to expand. That's why they call them empires. You cannot be an empire without expansion and expansion is a just a nice sanitized word for aggression. Is it's it's another sanitized word for usurping and undermining the sovereignty of other nations. That's what expansion is when we're we're looking to expand our sphere of influence in certain sectors. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to understand that. What I'm trying to say is, people, I'm going I'm going in a roundabout way because I'm, I'm because there's a lot to be said, but I can't just go into it. That's the problem, because when you go into it and just say it, people give me the yeah, but and I go, yeah, but have you identified your own indoctrination? Have you identified how what you were told and how much of it of what you were told? Can you verify yourself? I want you to cite your sources of information. Just like I had to academically when a lot of those teachers wanted to give me B's for an A paper because they didn't agree with my paper. I said, cite my sources, make me out to be inaccurate before you give me this B. Because if I do an audit in the class and I notice that the people who received A's didn't have a better paper and they just agreed with you, I'm taking this grade to the chair of the department. And I said that, give me my A. 
because I cited my sources and I'm right. Prove me wrong. We can have another conversation. But don't be mad because what I'm saying flies in the face of what you were told. And now it, 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 it flies in the face of what you identify the world to be. You have created a universe where this goes in that place and that goes in this place. And now I displaced everything. Or maybe I, dare I say, properly placed it. And now because of that, you're not happy. Happened to me in Italy, too. When I had, was, you know, there was a, I had a class in, um, when I was studying in Italy, I had a class on, I think the name of the class was Current Terrorist Movements. Class was horrible. Teacher was cool, but yeah, nonsense. Uh, pure nonsense. Uh, and so, because the classifications of who was and who was not a terrorist group depended on whom. Because Nelson Mandela was considered a terrorist. So your list is based on whom? What are the, you know what I mean? Nelson Mandela was in prison, considered a terrorist. But the South African government, a bunch of Anglos who decided to completely rape and pillage the land and make just being black a crime, they weren't the terrorists. <laughs> they were our allies, as a matter of fact. But another country that we're not allied with does the same thing. And we say, then the people in this country go, we got to do something about it. We? Where, where were we then? Vietnam, we got to free those people from communism. Meanwhile, black guy can't get coffee next to a white guy in Alabama or Birmingham. But we got to go to Vietnam because the Russians are over there. Really? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. We, we, we have to be very careful as to who we call we. <laughs> the reason why I'm saying this is because a friend of mine used we in a sentence about what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, we got to do something. I said, whoa, 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 partner. Who's we? <laughs> and he was like, you know, I said, no, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know who we is. I have no clue who we is. I know who I am. I know who I try to be. I know who I attempt to be. I know who I want to be. I don't know who we is trying to be. I don't know who we is trying to do. I know what I'm trying to do. What are you talking about? And he was laughing. He was, he, we were on the phone. And he was in tears like June. Wow. Yeah. You're, I said, we, we, uh-uh, because I guarantee you or I, that if, we knew the full intention of the bankers, of the war profiteers, of the politicians and who sponsor them and who vote them into office. I'm sorry, who uh, lobbies for them, who um, contributes to their campaigns. If we had a full disclosure as to the goings on and we had the full ingredients as to what makes this little these events that occur and how we get to where we are. I'm pretty sure there would be a lot of people that wouldn't be saying we. A lot less people would be saying we. They'd be like, oh, wow, we're, that's what's going on? Oh, I, I don't want any part of that. We got things to do at home. It's convenient. I'm not saying it's timed. I'm not saying this is choreographed. I'm not saying that this is, uh, 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 what do you call it, premeditated. What I am going to say, it's convenient that as many problems as America has at home for all the occurrences that have occurred over the last 
two years in this country. Going on three, all the things that have gone wrong, all the things that I feel and many, many people feel that this administration has done wrong. Many, many countries right now that have had to deal with protests because people have said you've handled certain things wrong. You've overreached. You've told us to put things in our body that we do not agree with. You shut down our jobs. You logistically destroyed certain sectors of economies. That are, on, that are at a standstill. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their businesses, their homes, their livelihoods, their lives. Because suicides are up, have skyrocketed. Murders, violent crime has skyrocketed. Governments have done a, the most inadequate and incompetent job over the last two years all over the world. I'm not just saying it from here. Hundreds of thousands of people have been marching all over the world. You understand? There was a march on Washington. Doctors, lawyers, credentialed scientists from all over the world were speaking out against this overreach, saying that it lacked it lacked sufficient information. The things that were the protocols were put in place were not in line with the so-called science, et cetera, et cetera. All of that now is put to the side, brushed to the side so we can just sit here and talk about big, bad Putin. Big, bad Russia. Ooh, the old Russian bear is roaring again. Here they are. If you guys have listened to my last episode, I told you guys that I have a professor of international studies, a quite credentialed, well-published, well-tenured uh, 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 PhD in international studies who's, who's gone to Russia more than a dozen times, who's, who has Russian colleagues that he speaks to at every one of these fancy little academic sanitized conferences that he goes to. And we had a conversation, and like I did in college, you know, with all those PhDs, respectfully and, and humbly, I put a lot of what they believed to bed. You know, I, 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 I hit to the crux of their belief systems because their belief systems lacked academics. Because academic institutions are still in same cahoots with our political and our military institutions. These universities, they get government money to stay afloat. These same professors, for them to become tenured, they can't say things that are so provocative outside of the scope of their polite institutions, even, no matter how true and how accurate it is. They can't because they will no longer be tenured. They will no longer be published. No, we're not going to publish that because you said such and such about such and such. It's been flagged. Who flagged it? Never mind who flagged it. You got to take that out of there. But it's the truth. Yeah, so what? Do you want to be a professor here? Or you want to go home. Remember what Alonzo said in training day? You want to go to jail? You want to go home. So they have to publish or perish. But what they publish also cannot fly in the face of conventional wisdom. You cannot shake up the narrative with truths. We can't let a little thing called truth get in the way of our narrative. And so when I was speaking to this professor and he was telling me how different Russia is from from how it was 30, 40 years ago and how starkly different and how open and free and this, that and the third and et cetera, et cetera. I said, if it's so different, then why is the conversation the same? And he was stuck. If it's so different, then why is the media narrative the same? If it's so different, then why how you teach when I was in your class and we, you and I used to get into those robust debates? Why was your rhetoric the same? 
if it flew in the face of what you saw with your own two eyes. And then what you were hearing from economists and intellectuals that were telling you also how different it was teaching in 2018 as opposed to, as opposed to 2008 or 1998 or 1988. So how could you sit there with the same conversation if the, if the, if the realities on the ground are contrasting what you're saying? If it's different, then it, the conversation should be different. But the conversation isn't different. People speak about Russia as if it's still the USSR. It is always going to be formally the USSR. Even if other countries act in a way that people think that the USSR would act or an oligarchical authoritarian, big, bad, expansionist uh, a, a state would act. Even if another country does it, we'll call it nation building. If another country does it, we'll call it spreading democracy. We'll call it introducing uh, 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 emerging markets to free market uh, uh, ideologies and structures. That's what we'll call it. That's what we'll call it when we put bases in other places and etc. We're there to ensure democracy. We don't call it an incursion. We don't call it uh, neo-colonialism. We don't call it that. Be careful who you call we. What's going on? The United States being in Russia right now or in Ukraine right now. I'm sorry, in Ukraine. That's not we. That's them. I'm not co-signing that. Am I co-signing what Vladimir Putin is doing? Invading Ukraine? I'm not co-signing that either. Ah, see how the world can be less than binary. Can be more than just binary. It's not Russia bad, U.S. good. And it's not U.S. bad, Russia good. It's not U.S. good, Russia good. It could be U.S. bad, Russia bad. Could be both. Could be U.S. bad, Russia bad, and Ukraine was playing games. <laughs> you playing games with your people. You cozying up to the West to the point where you know that, you know, NATO went from 12 members to 30 members and it was not supposed to do that. It was supposed to stay at 12. The Soviet, the NATO was only enacted because to, to, to counteract Soviet expansion. The Soviet Union dissolved. Russia is an infinitely more freer economy. Is it Disneyland? No. Freer economy, freer political discourse, even though you got Vladimir's running like eight times and like whatever, he's going to be president for life or whatever. You know, you had, what was it, Medvedev for a minute? I think his name was Medvedev. And then all of a sudden you had Putin back. But anyway, in any case, what you have now is a freer union over there. And what you have now, you have certain structures that you can to play to keep Russia in line because Russia needs the market. Russia needs the market because no country can just go it alone. You need the market. There's an interdependency between all these countries. We all kind of need each other. You have that. I have money. You have this. We can barter, trade, use currency. You need this. Trade you military for that. That's what China's doing in, in, in Africa. China's like, hey, you guys, we're building a, 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 we're building a metropolis every week. We need raw material. We need materials that you guys have. So guess what? We'll build you a soccer stadium, uh, train tracks, uh, buildings, a school, a this. But what we're going to want is these resources. So that's China's quid pro quo with Africa. 
but the United States and Europe would go to Africa and just go mine. And every man, woman, and child better get out the way or you lose your arm, you lose your leg, you lose your life, you lose your legacy, even though you've been on that soil for thousands of years. Before there was an even an Anglo on earth, you were reading and writing and you coming up with math. Meanwhile, they came back in the form of corporations. They went from colonists to corporations and they just came back and went mine. So China now is a bit more equitable, even though China's taking an inordinate, inordinate amount of resources outside of Africa and not leaving it for Africans. But meanwhile, these leaders are saying, and they're saying out of their mouth, we enjoy the relationship with China more than we've done with Europe, with the West. This is what you don't hear. Why am I bringing up China? Because that's our other big bad wolf. Meanwhile, the proxy wars that existed between the United States and the, form and the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union. It was black and brown countries that paid the price for these superpowers looking to expand. It was Africa, it was Central America, it was the Caribbean, it was South America, and it was Southeast Asia that paid the price. Asia in general paid the price. Okay? For trying to figure out who was jockeying for the better, for the bigger slice of the world pie. Everybody else. So when people say we, we, who's we? <laughs> we, what's we? Who are we? Do you own a military? Uh, do you own a, uh, 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 an ammunition, a munitions manufacturing company? <clears throat> then you're happy about these incursions. You're happier than a private prison developer with a tough-on-crime judge who's willing to lock up 10- and 11-year-olds as adults. You, you're, not into, you're not into rehabilitation. You're not into reform school. You're not into counseling. You're into lock them up because I got private prisons. So if you own a munitions company or maybe you own a company and your major a uh, 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 buyer is Boeing or, 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 or another military manufacturer, then when you hear about, ooh, U.S. is going to Ukraine, more money for me. So who's we? If you're one of them, yeah. Or maybe you have stock in some of those companies and you're looking to get that stock to split and you're like, ooh, man, I invested in this little company right now and you know they have a raw material that the world seems to need because it's a raw material that's used in tanks or missiles or et cetera, et cetera. Bah, 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 bah. It's used in helicopter engines. and Yeah, yeah, that's we. But me, I'm not happy. I'm not happy because I'm not happy about the rhetoric. I understand that this is a game of thrones. I understand that this is human beings. I understand that human beings, we haven't, our upper mammalian brains have not evolved to the point that war of this kind is obsolete. The United States is involved in proxy wars all over the world. Right now as we speak, right now. So is Russia, right now. So when people talk about World War III and nuclear, I say, listen, where depending on where you are in the world it's already world war three it's been that like i said if you i want everyone out there who's listening to this episode to listen to my last episode where i speak about i was in cambodia and a lot of those orphaned children that i was volunteering to help their grandparents were victims you understand their parents were victims 
of the United States and Russia playing games on their shores, war games on their shores. It didn't happen in Moscow and St. Petersburg. It didn't happen in Beverly Hills, Melrose, Malibu, Manhattan, Miami, Houston. It happened in brown and black countries. Poor people. When the elephants collided, it was the grass that suffered. And it was a bunch of people screaming, we then. We need to go over there. We. We. So I don't know what aggravates me more war or the citizenry's reactions but then i take a moment and it doesn't aggravate me because then i go back to all the boxes we checked before we could even check a box on our own everyone told us what we were look at your birth certificate you didn't write that you didn't write down your name you didn't write down your race you didn't write down anything they told you who you were. They told you what the world was. They informed you. Albert Einstein said the number, the, the, one of the primary decisions a human being is going to make is whether they live in a hostile or peaceful universe. That's what's going to inform your world. So you were told who was hostile and who was peaceful. You were told who wore the white hat and who wore the black hat. You were told who was the hero and who was the villain. You were told who was the, the, the victim and who was the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the predator. You were told. Huh? Who was the perpetrator? Who was the victim? Who was the predator? Who was the prey? Who was the hero? Who was the villain? Who's bad? Who's good? Who's evil? You were told these things. Who's benign? Who's neutral? You were told. Do you know? Or who you, do you know if what you were told is the actual truth? Did you take into consideration that your hero may be the villain? That your angel may be the devil? That your that your uh, uh, the victim just might have been the perpetrator? Or did you also take into consideration that it's a lot more nuanced? is than that a lot more complicated than that have you taken that into account that this is still about resources that europe is getting 40 percent of its oil from russia and that's the big deal it's why there have been incursions all over the world whether you're in africa blood diamonds blood copper blood cobalt blood 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 coltan hmm kids with their hands and feet chopped off because multinational corporations want to have control leverage over resources in the most resource rich continent on earth that if it was left to control its own resources it would be wakanda it would be singapore it would be tokyo it would be the most advanced guess what there are those out there who profit off of africa being in famine and part of them are part of that we that everyone out there is so so jubilant about to have intervene in things that are going on. Hmm? We. That we. I don't know why that bothered me. I know why exactly it bothered me. I just told you why it bothered me. We. I said we. We. Be careful who you call we. Because that tribal us against them mentality will come back to haunt you. Because once you say something that we don't agree with, where does that put you? You could end up being assassinated, incarcerated, marginalized, exiled, or ostracized. 
because that's what happens with people that fly in the face of conventional wisdoms. You fly in the face of conventional wisdom like my professors didn't or couldn't or wouldn't. Because if they did, they would be what? Marginalized. Now, all of a sudden, you lose your tenure. You were up for tenure, and for some odd reason, even though you have no flags and no strikes or this, that, and the third, um, you know, we're going in a different direction now. You lose your tenure. Marginalized. Because you decided to go against we. And if you take it a step further and you decide to be a Medgar Evers or a Malcolm X or an MLK, they do more than marginalize and ostracize and incarcerate. After they've marginalized you, after they've tried to ostracize you, after they've incarcerated you, they'll assassinate you. Be careful when you say we. It's all good until you're saying something that the people you call we don't like what you're saying. And if they don't like it enough, they will take action. If they don't like the direction you're going in, even though you haven't hurt a soul, you haven't done anything. You haven't, you're not posing a danger to human beings, but you're posing a danger to the conventional wisdom and the predominant narrative. Then all of a sudden, that we just leaves you. And you're like, what happened? Oh, so it's easy to talk that we stuff. Because you seem to be on the side of we right now. But what happens when you decide to go out there and go, no, this is wrong. I don't agree with you because this because of A, B, C, D and E. Where would that put you? <laughs> hmm? That's why it's important for us to check our dogmas, our biases at the door. What we know about certain places, we were told. And the people who told us and the entities and the structures that told us have a vested interest in the, the side of the story they told us about those certain groups. Trust me. Especially today, the more ramped up we are about adversaries and boogeymen. You ever heard that saying? I don't know if it was Herman Goebbels or if it was Edward Bernays or if it was Stalin or Lenin. But I remember I, we're going to talk about the Edward Bernays books because I have a ton of them here. But if you don't have a boogeyman, you create one. It's one of the quickest ways to galvanize a group of people, especially when things are dysfunctional at home. You create a boogeyman. The boogeyman keeps you huddled together. Because you guys are huddled. It's like a campfire. Um, you're hearing sounds out there that you can't identify. And someone in your circle says, let's get closer together because that sound, that could be something ominous. It could be a little fox. It could be a little raccoon. It could be something small. You hear that rustling out there? Yeah, that's the big bad wolf. So everybody huddles together. You don't even know why you're huddling. But you were told to huddle together and be scared. And that's the effect of the boogeyman. So we always have to have a boogeyman. And you know who wins? You know who wins with boogeymen? Politicians, businesses, and banks. They win. Banks, they make a ton of money because you have big multinational military arms grade corporations that manufacture weapons, that manufacture materials, that make weapons, and they have big money. They get to borrow big money from banks. Banks get to get their money plus interest. They win. Investors win. Politicians have a bigger coffer. They have a bigger uh, a war chest for their, uh, no pun intended, for their next political campaign, et cetera, et cetera. Their political party gets a nice little bonus. Put that in their coffers. Guess what? Because those same people that want war, like Dwight D. Eisenhower said in his military industrial complex speech, those people get their money. Those people who want war need war. That's how they make money. 
How does America make money right now? Think about it, guys. Think about it. Think about it. America doesn't really manufacture anything, does it? W what is it that we manufacture here that we do better than anybody else? What is it? Huh? Oh, you're going to say what? The, the, our phones? Our phones aren't made. Our phones, we, we get the raw material from Africa and they get assembled in China. But yet we want to speak about China being the big bad wolf. Knock it off. Without China, we don't have our phones. Without China, we don't have most of the electronics that we have and a lot of the clothes that we have. Without China, your favorite box store is not in existence. Without, without China, your favorite box store doesn't get to put the little businesses out of business. So instead of having beautiful neighborhoods with, 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 with different architecture and different personalities and different attitudes, we just have box store after box store after box store and parking lot after parking lot after parking lot. You don't have neighborhoods in this country. You just have box stores on top of each other. And all of them are getting their stuff from over there, for out east. But they're the boogeymen. We? Be careful who you call we. Be careful. Remember... Think about who benefits from this we conversation. And if you think that how we do things is just better, we're, we're just a, we're better at being bad than that. And we would rather this version than that version. Then we're complicit. And, and, and I think that we should just be more honest and say that. Because when I, like I said in the last episode, when, we, when I bring a lot of the facts of how we've all moved as Americans at the, our United States government and how our, mili our military complex, our intelligence apparatus, how it's moved throughout South America, Central America, the Caribbean, Africa, Southeast Asia, the things that have been done and continue to be done, that we cannot cast any moral indictments on anybody. And I'm not speaking about things that are ancient history or even in the distant past. I'm speaking about the not so distant past and our present and how we are beneficiaries of the blood and the dictators and the authoritarians all over the world. We benefit each and every single last one of us, including me, benefit from the blood that's on the streets in poor countries that are resource rich or even not because we strategically want this country to remain in, in dire straits and we give them aid so we can suppress their economy and have certain strictures and, 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 and dictums on their particular economy. Cause if we're going to give you this money, here are the strings that are attached. And they're like, Oh wow. So we, so that sovereignty that people think exists doesn't really exist. Everyone's playing ball. There's a moral ambiguity amoral, oftentimes immoral actions that are taking place due to state interests. And those national interests, those state interests may not be the interests that you have, may not be aligned with how you would move if you were in the same position and had the same exact information. Don't for one minute think that your politicians are better or smarter than you. Don't think that for one minute that you, you could not do a better job and see things better or clearer than they have. They are looking out for their interests. And oftentimes their interests are just right in front of their faces. It's about control, control, control over you and control you as a citizen and other state actors. Don't for a moment think that this is about anything else. If you think this is about and this is about resources, he who controls the resources wins. Forty percent of oil of European oil comes from Russia. 
They built another pipeline that was finished, I think it was last year or something like that. And that's, that was going to bring uh, Europe to 80% of, of Russian oil consumption. So that would make Russia an even more influential power. So that means that Europe would be leaning more towards dealing with Russia. Why is Europe dealing with Russia to begin with? Because Russia has been making significant inroads in Europe diplomatically. There's certain, there's, I could, I, like I said, I don't want this to be too academic, but the level of concessions Russia has made to endear itself to Europe, it had to make those concessions for, for Europe to go, uh, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll trust them to this degree because they did this and they did that and they opened up a certain level of transparency that never was there before. And this is what the, the average American or the average person just watching these things unfold on television don't get. The level of concessions that Russia had to make to endear itself to Europe, for Europe to feel comfortable enough to take 40% of its oil, to get 40% of its oil consumption. Do you know how stable that regime has to be one one? Do you know how stable that economy has to be? Do you know the kind of concessions that that Russia had to give up? All I'm trying to say is if you are looking at Russia through the cold, through your cold war glasses, you need to take those glasses off. I'm not saying throw them in the garbage. I'm saying put them aside. You may need them again. You never know. But you put them aside and look at it for what it is right now. A lot of people out there they have to take off their glasses to watch television and put them back on to read a book. Okay, nearsighted, farsighted, whatever the case. That's what this is. You might, you're seeing things a little fuzzy. You might want to take the glasses off for this and put them back on for this or that and the third, depending on the situation. So this is about Europe saying, eh, this is about the United States saying, listen, man, if Russia gets to give 80% of its oil to Europe, Russia's economy is going to be stronger than it's ever been. Its military is going to be stronger than it's ever been. Its grid is going to be updated because, like my professor said, Europe in 2018, Russia in 2018 is the complete opposite night and day as it was in 1998 and 1988. People want to live in Moscow. People want to live in St. Petersburg. People aren't rushing to go to other parts of Europe and go into the United States. No, those, it's not the same. People want to stay home. Whoa, why is that? Things have been upgraded. Things are looking good. They have a more of a European sort of aesthetic going on over there. The cafe life, the sort of laissez-faire attitude a little bit. Yes, alcoholism is on the rise. There's a lot of things going on in Russia that are problematic. But guess what? Compared to where it was, it's literally like night and day. And so then the United States goes, yeah, what if we want, we, what if we want to drag the Europe into another war? What if we want to drag Europe into some other things going on here, there, and everywhere else? And what if Russia says, yeah, no. And then Europe goes, yeah, um, to the U.S., listen, we're getting like 80% of our oil from them, so we're not going to be able to go along with you this time, but we wish you well. So the U.S. is going, uh-uh, nah, bruh, nah, nah. We need Ukraine with us. And Russia's saying, that's my Western border, and you're an expansionist. You are aggressively expanding your sphere of influence all over the world. Back off, buddy. <laughs> so I'm going to go there first just to let you know, let Ukraine know, let everyone know enough is enough. Is that right? I don't know. I would say, uh-uh. 
I would say, uh-uh. Russia, not good. United States, not good. Mm-mm. Ukrainian people. And if I were the Ukrainian president at the time, and I know that already Crimea was already a matter of contention a couple of years ago, I would have not have been playing that much footsie with the West. Because it's a dalliance, especially when you're not a superpower. You can't act as if you actually are a sovereign big bad wolf. You're new to this sovereignty thing. You, you tried to get into NATO. It didn't work. You're trying to get into EU. It didn't work. It's now you're sitting there playing footsie and you know that there's a very adversarial relationship between these two powers. And there you go. Now you're involved in a proxy war. Now it's Ukrainian people that are going to suffer. Now they're refugees. Now they're running around and everyone's opening up their arms going, oh, my God, look what's going on. The, 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 the poor Ukrainian people. Oh, yeah. In a proxy war. It's interesting. It's interesting how that happens when it's the United States's interest. All of a sudden, the United States opened up its borders for a second to Afghani refugees when when the Taliban and et cetera, et cetera, after U.S. Um, brought its troops back back to the United States and all of a sudden I was like wow interesting there are a lot of countries that are clamoring at the door of Europe right now saying please let us in we have nothing but war and strife and famine but those wars strife and famine those very same European countries that they're trying to enter into were the main contributors to that war and famine and they're like no sorry bye bye kick their boat and their raft right back into the ocean like no 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 stop you know how many boats sink in the middle of the ocean filled with refugees coming from countries where these Anglo corporations have been doing their mischief for decades? And you don't hear about it. You don't hear about it. And some of you are ambivalent to it. Apathetic to it. So I'm looking at the political realities on the ground that I'm saying to everybody, be careful who you call we. Be careful how you identify where you are in this based on what you were told, based on how much information you actually have. I would encourage many, many people to do more research. And if they ask me where, I'm not going to tell you where. That's up to you. If you really care to know the truth, you'll do the same work a lot of other people do to get the truth. They go and find it. They go and find it. I used a lot of buzzwords in this. You can find those buzzwords and Google those buzzwords and see what, see what comes up for you. See how consent is manufactured. See how the people are controlled through public relations and Edward Bernays propaganda. See how all of a sudden you're allies with the nation and all of a sudden you're no longer an ally with the nation depending. See how the boogeyman syndrome um, um, is advantages to, to, to uh, uh, infrastructures and powers and institutions. And all it does is, is leave you disadvantaged as a citizen, as a person on the ground, a civilian. See who wins, who profits off of these conflicts. Then we can have another conversation. But for now, I'm not, all I'm saying is I'm introducing little by little Little by little, because like I said before, hey, I have to introduce it little by little, because guess what? Um, when you fly in the face of conventional wisdom, oftentimes the attacks are real. I had a friend of mine be very, very upset with me because he was a former soldier, et cetera, et cetera. And when I spoke to him about 
he bought into something from six years old to 18 and that led him to A, B, C, D, and E in his life. And I didn't buy into that same thing. And it led me through this course in my life. So, But he was upset for a while. But yet we were able to come to a common accord without me conceding a thing. I didn't concede. I didn't say, well, you have your opinion and I have mine. We can agree to disagree. I didn't back off. I was like, this is what it is, bruh. Like, this is, this is, this is what you were told that led to your life choices. And this is what I believed that led to my life choices. And I said, this is where you're wrong and this is where I'm right. Now, if you can prove me wrong, the floor is yours. He couldn't. And I said, what do you, what do you think now? If, if I weren't in the room right now, what would you be saying? If, if you were talking to one of your buddies, what would you say about me, honestly? And he told me and we had another conversation like, okay, that's fair enough. But you would be wrong because A, I'm not this. B, I'm not that. A, I'm not this. B, I'm not that. You can't use your ideas about me to, to, to try to find a way to diminish my argument. You can't, you can't, you can't use what, was, what I was labeled as on my birth certificate or what box I check or don't check and use that. You got to just deal with what I'm saying on its merits as if I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm not a race. I'm not a gender. I'm not a nationality. I'm not any of these things. I'm just a voice. What happens then? And he was like, wow. And I said, hey, well, you know. But in any case, guys, I didn't even cover some of the stuff I wanted to cover. But I'm hoping that what I'm, what I'm attempting to do with this is expand how we think about something before we even get to think about it. So before we even get to the actual nuts and bolts of what exactly is going on, which is resources, by the way, I'm going to get back. It's resources and leverage, which is what it is. And there are certain friends of mine who, who, who think they're political realists. So they go, well, June, you know, that's just how the game of war is played. That's just how things are played. OK, if that's how you, what you really believe, then when they when they start creeping up on your shores, then what are we going to do? You're OK with creeping up on other people's shores and then you're not okay with their reaction because that's what bothered me. I was like, you're not okay with their reaction, but I'm asking you as a citizen of this country, if you knew your big, who, who you were told was your big bad wolf, if your boogeyman was sniffing around Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mexico, what do you think that your government's reaction should be? Do you think it should be similar to that? And what if, uh, do, do you think so? And that's when they were like, yeah, well, yeah. I said, so what are we talking about? So that means if all things are included, then all things are included. If all's fair, then all's fair. And he was like, well, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, um, you know, well, you know, and I got a, well, I got a lot of well, you knows. And I said, it comes down to this. You like your bad wolf more than you like their bad wolf because you have a big bad wolf but you like your big bad wolf better than theirs you prefer your big bad wolf just say that and then we can have another conversation because that's what it really comes down to the lesser of two evils we believe that we have many people here who consider themselves political realists but are really just patriots in disguise or just nationalists or ultra nationalists and dogmatists who just going to believe that we good, they bad, they're the other. It's us against, it's us versus dot, 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 to be filled in, to be determined. 
It's U.S. or us versus TBD, whoever. You know, you ain't with us, you ain't with us. Right? So in that case, that's all it is. Just say that. You know, just say it. Just say it. Because it's like I said, when was the last time you watched a Hollywood movie and you said, oh, yeah, yeah, the the Russian was the was the one that you um, um, empathized with and sympathized with and endeared was the lovable, cuddly character. How about when, when, when in in our popular culture, Russia's the big bad wolf. Am I right or wrong? In our popular culture, Russia is the big bad wolf. And that's been that way for more than two generations. Okay? That's in our popular culture narrative in the United States. China's become the big bad wolf in recent years. More, it was more benign before. You know, it was martial arts, it was food, you know, stuff like that. But it really wasn't a big, big deal. It wasn't, it, they weren't the big bad wolf. I remember when Japan was kind of turning into the big bad wolf. We were in a manufacturing competition with Japan. It was Ford versus Toyota and Japanese Sony, Samsung versus GE and et cetera, et cetera. And then their, their economy sort of, you know, recessed a bit and they retracted and shrunk a bit. No more Japanese narrative. Now China has ascended onto the scene due in large part to America's corporations putting their manufacturing over there. Okay. Due in large part to us, you know, but in any case, us, we, Due in large part to we and us. And guess what? Now they're the big bad wolf. And um, if we hear other people tell stories about the United States, we would hear a lot of other big bad wolf stories that your, your social studies teacher, your history teacher, your global studies teacher didn't tell you from sixth grade, from first grade, from when you were six years old all the way to when you were 18. Nobody told it to you in your media. Nobody told it to you in your family. Nobody told it to you through um, elementary school, middle school, high school. And then oftentimes not even in college. So you end up being this uninformed adult at the polls, uninformed adult January 6th, running up and down Washington, D.C., this uninformed adult joining groups online, being mad at this, that, and the third, doesn't matter what side, uninformed adult running around not knowing what exactly is going on and then saying we not having a clue what we did or what we do or what our intention is. Come on. We're going to do better. We're going to do better. People don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree. Do the, do the math. You're on your own. Do the math on your own. Check your biases. Check your check your biases. Check your archetype, your stereotypes, check your caricatures and think about how, what you were told about who you are and who they are. From your birth certificate till now, you barely got to choose. What I do is I'm forcing people to make a decision that wasn't made for you already. Start looking at new information. If you're so inclined, it's up to you. We'll talk about it later. Be safe.